listening to the New Mamas Podcast. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is having a fabulous day. I am here with Heidi Fiedler. We're going to be talking about something that is near and dear to both of our hearts because we spent a little time connecting before we kicked off the episode all about creativity, how we nurture it in our homes with our children who may not be interested in traditional activities. We chatted a little bit about how our biggest fears were that our children wouldn't be interested in books and reading. So we're going to get all into it. Heidi is a writer and an editor, and she's worked on hundreds of books for clients, ranging from Chronicle to Bravery Magazine. She does deep thinking that's needed to turn into an I- idea into a book, which I think is like, that's where I feel like a lot of the magic happens is bringing it to life. So Heidi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about your motherhood journey as it comes to creativity. I know you you alluded to some of it over email, but I want to hear the full thing. Yeah. So I, I've been a writer and an editor for a long time. So I feel like my job has like that creative side to it. And I wasn't sure what it would look like when I became a mom. Like if I could keep working, how much could I work? How much of it would be client work and how much would be like my own creative projects? And so I went into it knowing like I really needed to just kind of stay open and like see like how does this feel and what feels realistic and all of that. And then I think what I didn't know was like it would keep evolving. <laughs> like, you know, it, it wasn't just like you arrive and you are a mom and then your life becomes like this one way now. And like, this is how your creative life looks and this is how your your motherhood mm-hmm. style is and all of that. It's like every year, every however often it's always changing and you're figuring it out all over again. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. So when did you start to incorporate creativity with your child? Oh, you have, sorry, can you walk through, you're a mom of one, mom of two? Yeah, I have one son. Um, He's five years old. He's autistic. We adopted him when he was just a baby and we're um, so, so grateful to (laughs) be his parents. And it's been a lot. <laughs> Having one child has felt like a lot. Wait, um, that's especially trying to work and, and keep all the other parts of our lives going. Yeah. Um, Wait, can you like talk a little bit about the adoption process? Because I'm so curious about that. Sure. Yeah. It's different for everyone. Um, for us, we we actually started when we live in Massachusetts now, but we started when we lived in California. So it took us several years. Um, you know, we started once and then we started again when we moved. And um, for me, I, I needed to adopt because of health reasons. So like that was part of what was um, behind it. And it's a really slow process. <laughs> it's really, mm-hmm. really hard to to wait and to kind of like trust that you will come to the end of it and and you'll get so many years of being a family together on the other side um when you are waiting it just feels like that's all it is is like this hole where you're waiting but we did get to the other side and and we're very very grateful and we were really lucky to have the process that we had and it's something that you know it's still evolving for us too like our relationship with his birth family and our understanding of what it means i think when when you're going through the process it's like so so top of mind and it is an important part of our journey and his identity but it's also it's like one piece of a human that is going to be um you know multifaceted and have a lot of layers as he grows and changes and all of that. Yeah, we are so complex as humans, right? If you think about like everything that shapes us. So that is very, thank you for sharing that. That's so interesting. Okay. So how did you start to nurture creativity in your home? Was your son already like kind of gravitated towards creative activities? Did he not like want to, do you want to walk us through that? Yeah, I think I think like in the very beginning, like I I had the hope and the vision of like wanting to sit down and like paint next to you. Yes. Like that's sort of like this (laughs) golden dream. Yeah. And like I definitely found like I can't write 
and be like in mm-hmm. mom mode at the same time. I know some people that have like taken notes while they're like down on the floor playing with their kid. They have their notebook on the side and they're like oh, good for them doing both at once. And like I have taken notes like on my phone if we're on a walk or something like that. But basically I, I find like I cannot do my work with him. So when I am doing creative activities with him, it's much more about like engaging with him and giving him that experience. Um, and, and like, I'm enjoying it too. I'm having fun, but it's not like this, like dreamy, like side by side, we're both doing our own thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Not yet. at least. Like, so my son is autistic and he had a lot of just kind of like icky, reluctant feelings about paint and Mm. play-doh and like touching certain textures and that kind of thing so right in the beginning like he really wasn't like a play-doh kid he didn't love like getting that stuff out or like drawing can be really challenging for him just like the the coordination and like using his hands in that way but I think I've always had the materials out like I always have a bowl of crayons out or a bowl of I my mom got us these really nice colored pencils that are like super chunky and they feel so smooth like I I really love having those nice materials where it just feels inviting I always have those accessible and I just like would get down on the floor and do however much he was interested in in whatever way he was interested in and try and keep it very low pressure and you know let it sort of be whatever it was for him And then as he's gotten older, like I've come to think he is actually really creative himself. It just looks different. um, Mm -hmm. And he's interested in different things. He'll he'll often take like, you know, magnet tiles that the other kids are maybe like building a big tower with. He's creating like these like almost like mandala pinwheels. Oh, so cool. Beautiful. Like they're they're like visually stunning. And I love like walking into his room and discovering like, oh, you really made something like I never would have thought to put those together. Those colors look great together. We have the squigs, which are like those little suction cup things that like you pull off. I haven't tried those yet. And we'll we'll put like little felt balls on top. So it's like mixing and matching the colors. It's very like abstract process driven art. And it's it's very satisfying to me. <laughs> what are they called? They're squiggles? Squigs. Yeah. Squigs. U-I-G-Z maybe. <laughs> I will have to check that out. That's funny. So my, my, I think we, so I mentioned before we started recording that, and I think some of the listeners know, like my husband's a musician and I do a whole, a whole bunch of stuff. I've always, I used to write, I love to read. I did pottery. I do photography. I do like, I'm basically creative brain, but I don't have like a practice per se. Like I'm a painter or, or I'm a this, but we talk about how our biggest fear is that our son rebels and becomes an accountant. Not that there's anything wrong with that, guys. But, you know, like we we're we're both like tattooed. We both have sleeves. So we're just imagining our son like button up and proper and like a Brooks Brothers polo going to his accountant job. And we're like, that would be his form of rebellion when usually it's the opposite. Right. But I was nervous that he wasn't interested in creative stuff because not until recently, and my son's two and a half, has he really been interested in painting and drawing and coloring and, like you said, Play-Doh. Like, my son just really liked trucks and tractors. It was trucks and tractors, nothing else. It was so strange. Like, I thought it was strange because I never tried to nurture that hobby of his, but he just really loves it. But something that we started doing too is I I love how you mentioned having like bowls of crayons out of like almost creating these like creation spaces for them. That's super inviting. Like you said, having nicer materials, which I, I feel like some people think it doesn't matter, but I think it does. Like even just what you mentioned about the tactile, like how it feels to hold on to. I mean, think of us as adults too. Like we like a nice pen. I don't know about you. I'm very picky about my pens. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, we're drawn to it. And I think they might be drawn to it consciously or unconsciously. Yeah, or It's for different reasons or whatever. But I do think, yeah, it's like exciting to open a new box of oh, crayons. And, like, the see best the feeling. There. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So we started to do that. And I actually want to under I want to know what your thoughts are around screen time, because this is something that we 
I actually used to use the tablet a lot more when he was younger. I think because I was, like you said, trying to balance being a full-time working mom and having him at home sometimes. The tablet was just a way for me to like be able to cook dinner and not have to hear him scream or like have to play with him while making dinner. But then now I st- we eliminated the tablet from our home. We keep it in the car for car rides. That's our consolation. Um, but now instead of the tablet, I do crayons and a giant art pad or I set them up with paints and a giant art pad. And I found that like really works. And I think it is starting to nurture his creative brain. So I want to know what you think about screen time. Mm. Loaded topic, I, I know. Yes, Loaded. <laughs> I think everyone has lots of worries about it. Mm-hmm. And I think my my personal feeling is like, who cares? Like, I think that's where I would like just come down naturally. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. it's not that big a deal. But we've gone through phases where it's like, he's just not interested. So we're not going to like push it on him, obviously. And then there's been other times where it's like super hard to turn it off. And it's mm-hmm. like, is this worth it? I, I would rather just shut it down. Now I feel like at least for right this second, we're in a phase where it's like, we have a thing where it's four o'clock. That's when you can use the tablet. And so he knows like when it becomes four o'clock, then yes, we will say yes. But until that time we're saying no, and he can, you know, look forward to it each day. And once it's, we call it bear time because we use the Khan Academy app a lot. And there's like a little bear icon on there. So like we call it, you know, four o'clock is bear time. Once it's four o'clock, we're like, whatever. Like, we're, we're all not going like, to shut it all down. All bets are off. Yeah. Like, we let's just it. get through. Right. Wait, what's that app called? It's called Khan Academy. I think it's K-H-A-N. But it's it's like basically educational. And yeah, it's yeah. For little kids. It's very safe. Cool. Um, and I feel like decent about it. But there's other stuff on the on the tablet that he can access and stuff. And like in terms of creativity, he, he does this one... I don't know what app it is even, but he'll do something where he'll like put a bunch of pictures layered on top of each other. So they kind of look like they're in this weird um, like infinity room. And he loves that. Or like he'll pile them all up, (laughs) like these big pictures in piles on top of each other. And like, to me, I think whether it's on a tablet or whether it's like paper with crayons or like even walking in the park or whatever, I feel like it's it's really helpful to just let your kids like have their own vision and their own aesthetic mm-hmm. and their own their own preferences of like what they notice and how they interact with it and stuff like if i came over and was like i really think you need another gingerbread man on top of that like pile of whatever it is you're building it would take all the fun out of it and it would be like i don't want to do this anymore and if if we went on like a walk and I was constantly like narrating and saying, oh, here's a brown acorn. And I think that this acorn is bigger than that acorn. Like, I think there is value in like verbalizing and helping kids notice and appreciate things. But I also think there's like a lot of value in just stepping back and being like, make whatever you want right now. Like that is, this is your time, like use it, express, be like scribble, do whatever, you know, that's all good. (laughs) Wow. I think that's so powerful. It's well, it's funny because right now we call it, we say that my son is in his Jackson Pollock stage because he's filling up the piece of paper with like lots of angry scribbles, it looks like, but it looks really cool because like the whole page is filled with these like cool intricate scribbles. Anyway, he's two and a half, but whatever. Um, I love, I think that's really powerful that you, you're almost saying give them that space to notice the world and to make of it in their own minds of what it is. Because I think so much of, I don't mean this in a weird way, but I feel like being like too hands-on is almost detrimental. Like you said, like let them notice the world instead of you narrating it for the, like I, I, I totally see, I see the power in that. I think there's a lot of pressure on parents to like present the right way of doing things to teach and to like, and yes, that is like part of our job, but especially when it comes to creativity, like you don't want someone like in your ear telling you, oh, why don't you put a little yellow right there? Or like, right. you think about the words, like you'd be like, enough, like, 
back off. Like, yeah, that would fun. be, that sounds really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, that's, that's true. And I love how you mentioned, like, there is creativity on the tablet too. And I think also just the, the reality of our world is that there is technology and a lot of us do have digital jobs or you touch some sort of digital something for your work eventually. So that's why we're not like completely taking the tablet away. And and there are some other, oh, there's some great apps. There's like all these puzzle apps. And I have to say like Archie has learned stuff from technology. I know like there's all these things out there to say like your kids do not learn on the tablet. And I kind of call BS on that because he's like tracing all the letters on those little games. I, I'm, I'm blanking on the names of the apps. I should know. I feel ba- like that's not good. Yeah, but I don't know. There is there is definitely some sort of... Cre- There's a lot of like little drawing games too. Like I have a friend who whose son really loves the app Procreate on Apple. It's like with the drawing... So I don't know. It's a... I guess digital is just another medium of creativity. Yeah. And I forget why I read this or heard this, but like someone was talking about how Like we have jobs that did not exist, you know, in the 80s or the 90s. Yes. And our kids are going to have jobs that do not exist now. And like, I find that really like, I don't know how to wrap my mind around that. But it's also like, we have to, at some point, let go and let them figure it out on their own or like invent something new, invent invent a new approach. Like, Teaching them what we learned in the 90s is like not going to be useful to them. Wow. In 20 years or 10 years. Wow. How powerful. I actually never thought of that. That like I could be sitting here today and in 18 years, he could be doing something that did not exist today. That's crazy. Actually, I mean, that's so true. Like my in-laws don't understand my job. I work in social media (laughs) and they have no idea what I do. I have a traditional job, but I couldn't do my job the way I do it 10 years ago, even because (laughs) like the internet just wasn't set up this way. Right. Yeah. For us to collaborate too, like it's just so interesting. I feel like what you're kind of encouraging is to kind of let give parents more ease of like, don't. I don't know. It does. I feel like I feel like we're really concerned a lot about so many things, and I feel like you have a lot of trust in the child. I feel like that's like part of your methodology. It seems like I hope so. I think it's something I've struggled with because. And maybe all parents struggle with this, but especially for us, like our kid is different. Like there's just no way around that. And he's like, he's really good and special just the way he is, but like trying to apply any traditional or recommended techniques would just be really an exercise in frustration. And also we would miss so much of what he is already able to do and what he is interested in and who he is. And I am, I I think one of my like big life lessons to learn from him is to kind of break some rules and to kind of brush off and ignore what other people have to say about how to be in the world, because he already feels like he knows what to do in the world. And it's really cool to see. And that if I so can cool. trust that and encourage, especially in like our world does not encourage people to follow their strengths and build on their strengths, no matter who you are. And like, I think that's really valuable as parents. If we can identify what our kids are really good at or what they really enjoy and we can encourage that, it's so like long-term, that's going to make such a difference. And it it can balance out like some of the hard parts of school and friendships and all the ups and downs of you know, growing up. You mentioned something so powerful and that's playing to your strengths. And I think the biggest misstep with the school system currently is that we don't focus on a child's strength. If they're a good writer, and I'll use me as an example, I was great at English and history, anything writing, reading, historic, like that was my jam. Anything math and science, STEM, I guess, was not my jam. And it was, it sucked because I I truly excelled in this one sphere, but nobody cared about that. 
it was just really how bad I was doing at math and science and why couldn't you get it? And I needed all this. I feel like we put, we poured so much extra effort into what I was bad at instead of imagine if I was given the resources to like bring what I was good at to the next level. And that does not just skill wise, but self-esteem, like my self-esteem was crushed as a young person because of that. I think it's so unrealistic for us to expect anyone to be great at all five subjects, whatever, if that's how we're bucketing it in the school system, like that's why are we giving credit to like the straight A student? Like, I just, it makes me so angry because it's not realistic. And it's also, I'm not sitting in my job today doing like genealogy or whatever, geology and bio, and then also history and right. Like it doesn't, it's just unrealistic. I'm sorry. I I get really mad. That approach stays with you so long. Like as an adult, you feel like it's almost like your your job to inventory your weaknesses and work on and just be like checking boxes to move toward, I guess, like this standard, normal, perfect thing we've idealized that doesn't exist. And like it takes a really long time, at least for me, to be like actually, I don't care about those things or like, they're just not for me. I'm going to work on the things that I really love and feel important to me. Like it, it took me a while to get to that stage. Yeah. I think it takes many of us a while to get over that because our whole young life development was just, oh, you're bad at this. And I don't know. I feel like it's so shameful. Like the grading system too, there's so much guilt and shame that comes into it. And I feel like all that system taught me was like how to be secretive and how to hide my grades or try to change them. Like, I just feel like it wasn't the the good parts where I was actually learning something and thriving were so small compared to the ones that like just where the system placed emphasis on. I don't know. It's just truly it's interesting. So that's something I do hope to change for like my child. I really hope that if he's not good at something just not like why do we need to push it I guess like why do you I guess like let's take like let's bring it down to like our kids level like riding a bike if you're not if you don't want to ride a bike and you're not good at riding a bike why do you need to ride a bike like why is that you a milestone a <laughs> you did it all I right it, yeah. <laughs> and I'm totally fine <laughs> oh and look at you and you're like a thriving human being in this world look at that I don't miss it <laughs> yeah Right. And then, you know what, if you ever want to learn how to ride a bike, you can do it still. But it's why. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, there's so much emphasis. And I really even hate the word like normal, like a normal child, because I just don't I don't what is what is normal, right? Like in every child develops so differently as well with all these milestones. I remember when my son was young, it was I always had this friend who would share on social media like, oh, this, you know, she's an early walker and she's eating solids already. She's not even five months. And, oh, my God, she's sleeping the night and she's only three months. Like it was like so. And I know social media opens up a lot of that comparison. But I remember being it wasn't like jealousy or anything. It was more so just fear that I was doing something wrong that because my child wasn't crawling or walking yet when it seemed like all his peers were and I don't I don't know if any of that really matters because he like now he runs and walks and everything just fine it definitely is not going to matter when he's 45 or like you know 15 even <laughs> when and he's 45. I always think like people have um I don't know if this is like 100 percent true but I have a theory that people have like an age that they are like, they fit the ideal for. Like when I was three, maybe I seemed like I wasn't a good three-year-old, whatever that means, (laughs) but I'm a really good 29-year-old, but maybe I'm not a great 72-year-old. I don't know what I'll be like, but like you, you may or may not fit the expectations at each age. And it's like, what are you supposed to do about that? If you happen to be like an introverted a kid that's like not playing with all the other kids and you have like your own creative hobbies that don't look like other people's that's not rewarded at five years old but it might Mm -hmm. be really cool when you're 25 or 35 or whatever you know yes yes and that's actually the annoying thing is like 
I feel like when I was I was into things when I was young that was definitely like not cool at the time, but now it's really cool. It's totally. like what gives? Like all of that is so so silly. It's funny that you mentioned age and like if we're a good yeah, like am I a good 34-year-old? Because I definitely feel like I feel like my I'm mature like a 34-year-old, but then I still feel like my interests are of a 16-year-old. And like who's to say whether that's good or bad? And just like we're saying about like how much can you teach your kids about what the world is going to be like in 20 years? We don't know who they're going to be in 20 years or what yeah. their strengths and interests and all of that will be. And like, I think there's more value in helping them be self-aware and like mm. tune in and think about like, is this for me or not? And kind of like having that place to come from instead of like, what am I supposed to be doing? Am I doing it? You know what I mean? Like it's a different energy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to learn more about how you're helping your son feel self-aware. Something I did recently, like one of his teachers at school for my for my son mentioned, oh, he only likes to play with these two kids. You should try to encourage him to play with everyone. And I was like, why? <laughs> what if he feels safe and like wanted and okay? And I told I told him too, because he was telling me that he didn't like playing with one certain kid. And I said, you don't need to play with him. That's okay. You don't have to play with anyone you don't want to play with. Hey, everyone. It's your host, Lena Forrestal, taking a quick break from this podcast episode to ask you to support the show. I do this show because I love it. And as a self-funded creator, your support can help me pay for things like podcast hosting and an editor. So here's how you can help. Share this episode with a mom friend, caretaker, or soon-to-be mom friend. Leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you wanted to throw me some coins, you can donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash newmamaspodcast. Any little bit helps, and I appreciate your support. Finally, give me a follow on Instagram at Lena Forrestal. I love meeting my listeners, so definitely send me a DM and introduce yourself. Now, let's get back to the show. How are you teaching your son about like self-awareness? Like, are there any conversations that you're having? I know he's young, but like, how, how are you sort of nurturing that? He's young. Yeah. And I think like it, it is a challenge for him to know like what his emotions are and how he's feeling and what he wants. I think part of it is through like acceptance and just sort of being open to what it is that he shares with us and not shutting it down. Like mm. if we were constantly telling him like, no, you don't feel that way or like you can't think that that's not what's going on here, then right. I think that would seed a lot of self-doubt. And my hope is that long term as he hears us affirming and saying like, oh, I hear what you're saying. Let's work on this together. Let's figure it out together it will give him a sense that he can share what he's thinking and feeling. And maybe it doesn't make sense, or maybe it's a bigger problem. We have a book called Big Problems, Little Problems. So maybe it's a bigger problem than a little problem, but it's something we can like talk through and share and be open about. I think that might be like a good goal for him. And also like I, I talk openly with him, like, you know, it's, it can be hard to be autistic, but it can also be really cool. And, you know, here are some other people that are autistic and like you see things differently. And sometimes our life looks different because we do different things. That's all okay. Like just like giving him some words around that and not making it seem like there's a thing I kind of sense is different, but I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about it or if it's real or whatever. I think I hope will help. Okay, so that's so you do have active conversations with him about his autism. Yeah, and I think like everything, um, you know, it's something you have a conversation about many, many times over and mm -hmm. over. It's not like a reveal or like a reveal. Uh, you know, yeah. Same thing with the adoption process. We want him to, we don't want him to have a day that he looks back on and be like, oh, that's the day I learned I was adopted or that's the day I learned right. I am autistic it's part of his identity and it's part of our lives and we talk about it and he can choose how much he wants to talk about it or how much he wants to share with people. But like just trying to keep it open and keep the conversation like steady through as he grows up. 
yeah like really normalizing it like it's just not it's like to, it's normal that or whatever normal is right it's a, it's not something like you said like a big grand reveal I love that what are some practical ways that you have nurtured that you sort of nurture creativity like in the everyday with him Definitely the new materials and like putting things out that I know will kind of like spark his interest and then really noticing what he is interested in. Like, like you were saying, your son is super into trucks and all of that. I mean, we had that phase for sure. <laughs> but like my son is super into school buses. That's like his excitement every day. <laughs> so, school buses. so we draw buses a lot. We draw like whatever it is he's into. We draw gears. We draw, um, we draw squigs. We spent like many months drawing the squeaks, which are real <laughs> picky, abstract shapes that like I don't know how to draw. So all of that I think helps him feel engaged and seen and like this is for him. Like I just want him to feel like he can walk over, pick up the the materials, the toys, whatever it is, make what he wants to make, share it with us. And then we clean it up and do it again another day. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that you. So it's funny because I spend a lot of time drawing tractors. Never thought in my whole life that I would ever draw a tractor. And now I can draw many different tractors. Hello. Wow. Yes, I am quite advanced now. But it's just like, I guess it's kind of, yeah, bridging the gap between what they're interested in and then some sort of like creative medium. So something when he was really, he's still into trucks and tractors, but something I started to do to get him into painting was have him paint his toy tractors with, you know, like the Cre Crayola washable paint that comes right off. And then also using the tires to like run it through the paint. And then he would like put it That's on fun. the the canvas I guess it was pretty fun like when he start when we sort of started to play with it and do it I was like oh that's really neat like that is kind of fun and I feel like a lot of motherhood the motherhood itself takes creativity because you're constantly problem solving even if it's I mean this is really meta but like how to be creative with creativity for sure yeah <laughs> you're you're being creative all day long as you make decisions and you also like in this long-term way of like having a vision for your family and working yeah. toward it a and vision. also like believing that the invisible patient work that you're doing is leading to something bigger and things are changing even though it doesn't feel like it and all of that yeah there's so many parallels between creativity and motherhood and I I feel like a lot of motherhood at least for me is like kind of tuning out those voices that are like you should be over here at this stage and you're like my uh -huh. kid is interested in in this like moving the tracks through the paint like that's cool like let's just do that for a while one of the like little tips we learned from a OT an occupational therapist that we work with is to mirror what your child is doing instead of like a lot of times our instinct as adults is like if your child's drawing a line you like you draw a squiggly line or you draw another line that's longer or you draw it connecting to this line you're, you're like trying to add a little something and somehow go to the next level but if you draw the same thing that they draw or if you scribble the same way they do it lowers the pressure and it helps them feel like we're more like side by side just doing this it's not about me like learning a new thing and um trying to like stress out about this new skill we're just like trying things together and you're doing a little bit of what I'm doing and you're interested in what I'm interested in so maybe I'll peek at your paper like <laughs> in a little bit you know and I've I I found that to be successful every time I lower demands and just release expectations things seem to go slightly more smoothly not a lot but a little bit more smoothly <laughs> I love that you talk about mirroring because I know like my son I think I mentioned he doesn't love playing with other kids and that's fine but he really loves to parallel play that's what he still really loves to do even when we have little play dates um, so I feel like there's a lot of power in that. And I love that you mentioned expectations. Do you think 
in today's like motherhood, like standard, do you think we hold our kids to too high expectations? Like, do you think there's a just, I notice you use the word pressure and expe- expectations a lot. And I feel like I, I feel the same about, I think I know, I think I feel the way you feel, but I don't know. <laughs> I guess <laughs> I'm going to yeah, ask you. Like, <laughs> I definitely personally feel pressure and expectations. And I mean, we have great parents and we have a great set of family and friends. These are not people that are like asking us, oh, when is he, when is he going to Harvard or that kind of thing? But it's it's just, I think it's different now. Like it, it feels like there's so many things that you as a parent are somehow supposed to have control over that you do not. And <laughs> it is, I always wish people would just kind of like say, I don't know what to do, or I don't have control here. If we could all just admit that and be like, okay, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, I would be happy with that. But I feel like there's a lot of people that are like, somehow you should take a class or you should, you know, work with your doctor or whatever. You should be fixing, you should be mastering, you should be pushing in this direction. And I kind of feel when my son was um, teething, like as a, as a little baby, you know, you would give him like those cold things and the biscuits and all these things. And I, I told my mother-in-law, like, I feel like we're just doing something to do something. I don't think these things actually work. We're just like, yep. Mm-hmm. trying to feel like we're doing something. <laughs> and she was like, I kind of feel like that's what a lot of parenting is. It's like, you want to feel like you're doing something. You have this expectation and this pressure to actively parent in some way, but a lot of it is like just getting through the day and like seeing what unfolds. (laughs) Yeah. Because I wonder, I mean, I wonder so many times, like I'm like, how did people, and I know life just looks really different today, but I'm like, how did people in the past have like five kids? Like there just has to be more demand today for today's mothers at least because there's I mean I know people with four or five kids but it's definitely not the norm in our generation and I think a lot of that is because of the expectations and pressure like it's it's a very complicated complex subject but I do think part of like the motherhood frustration is having too high expectations of like your at least in my like two and a half year old there are some times where my husband and I go well he's two and that's just what it is like yeah. not try- not going to try and fix it it's kind of a normal behavior like him wanting like mom or dad like some like this morning sobbed because daddy is already at work which is an everyday thing so i don't know why he was surprised by it <laughs> but and i was like you know what he's two i'm just going to wait it out i was like i'm here and i'm here when you're ready buddy and that's that's it but like in the past i would get so worked up and i'm like oh no i must teach him that blah 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 I don't know. I don't know if I'm even making sense. I I relate. And I feel like there's a gap between me, me being okay with it and being like, he's two. And I'm just like going to let this be. But then somehow having this like background noise of like, but other people would want me to do something here. Like they Mm. would not just like, if they walked in and saw, I was like, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. (laughs) Right. it's probably a larger thing. It's not just motherhood related, but I feel like it really gets turned up in motherhood. So, so high, the sense of like other people could weigh in at any time. And there are like much, much higher expectations for how you do your daily life. <laughs> your day, right. Yeah, actually, a good example is my mom. Like, love you, mom, if you listen to this. But over Christmas this last year, we went to visit my mom, my parents, And at the table, he's two, right? So my son's two. And we all know that toddlers can be really picky about food and texture. And my mom would say stuff like, well, you can't just give him a choice about what he has to eat. He has to eat what's on his plate. And I'm like, but but why put myself through that? If he wants a piece of toast instead of rice and beans for dinner, I'm just going to give him a piece of toast. Like, and maybe that's the path of least resistance. And maybe that's, you know, teaching him something bad. But I mean, I said, I see quotes a lot of where like moms are not like, we're not short order cooks. But at the same time, I have like my foods where I'm like, all right, if you don't want this, you can have cereal, a banana or a piece of toast, like my low effort. For sure. Clean up. But yeah, it's that's a really good example of like, 
I just throw my hands up and I'm like, what do you want from me? He's two. He's two. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He's two. <laughs> like it is what it is. And I think some of that must be generational. Like, yeah, it has I to be. Those moms in the last generation felt a lot of pressure to make their kids comply and to be obedient. And that's how we were raised. And so yes. it's still in us, this idea that that's what we should be doing. But the number of ways we're supposed to comply and the the public spaces or the public moments that that applies to is larger somehow like heightened and it's not just us like making them comply if this was the goal but it's not just us making them comply at some specific time or place but somehow it's been extended to this like giant project (laughs) that is like every minute of the day could be a teachable moment like well I think that like the previous generation felt pressure to have obedient compliant Mm. kids which I don't love that idea, but I think they felt that pressure. I don't think they felt like they had to actively parent and pay attention every minute of the day. Yes. I think that my parents, like I was very, like I was, I was an only child until I was nine. I played alone a lot, solo play. And we all know uh, like there's a lot of benefits to solo play, but I think today's mom is really expected to get on the floor and play with her kids. Which Yesta has benefits too, but that's also not a reality for a lot of moms. Like you were saying, like you are a writer and you have things you need to do sometimes and you can't always be on the floor. I don't know. It's striking that balance, right? But I do feel like the background noise you mentioned, whenever he is solo, it's funny that you mentioned that whenever Archie is solo playing and I'm like, oh, this is a good opportunity for me to like whip out my computer and get some stuff done. I do feel guilt even though I know it's good for him I'm like no I should be there I should be pretend playing I should be doing this like wow that's so crazy well maybe take this as permission to say you're like encouraging his creativity when he's solo playing you're you're not just letting him solo play you are like building uh his inner dial his inner monologue and like letting him make his own decisions and it is good but yes I've I hear those voices all the time, too. (laughs) Yeah. So your son is five. What is he really into now? Emojis are one of his favorite things. Emojis? emojis. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So cute. Noodles Noodles are like a favorite food. And we have all different shapes. We have like really long noodles I did not know existed. He's into crashing. We have a crash pad in his room and he's like just falling onto it and being silly all the time. And he he likes kindergarten, which is really exciting to see too, which like oh, we're talking about, I just, I hope he can keep some of that. Like I, I feel like that would be a really hard thing to to lose or try and get back if for some reason he doesn't like school. And right now he does. So that is really, <laughs> that makes me feel really good. You're like, yes. Yeah. Yes. Because there's like, I feel like there's no worse feeling than when you're sending your kid off to somewhere he doesn't like because every motherhood instinct in you is like, ah, this is not okay. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a win. Tell us a little bit more about your master classes and your workshops. Yeah. Oh, so I, I offer, they're called the Naps and Notebooks master classes. And it's a series of master classes for writers that are designed to be watched during nap time or quiet time or whatever little chunk of time you have. So it's like cool. a super quick video and then there's a workbook. And it's it's like very targeted because like you can be a beginning writer or more experienced writer, but we all have blind spots. So there's one on character development, um, there's one on book mapping, and then there's some that are more like lifestyle mindset where it's like how to find the time and energy to write or how to grow as a writer when you're like really struggling to find pockets of time. So I really designed them for moms and um, I hope people will find them helpful. Ooh, okay. So that's like if let's say I had dreams of like writing a book. Do you think that's a great like a great place to start? Totally. And I I have a workshop called Before You Begin, which is like it's a community and a workshop that just takes place over a month and it gives you a lot of practical 
tips and there's worksheets and different things, but it really prepares you to start a book, whatever kind of book um, you're interested in. And then I am also offering, it's called Making Magic, How to Write a Picture Book That Shines. And that's like a really step-by-step six-week class that teaches you everything you need to know if you have an idea for a picture book and you want to write it. Oh, that's wait, that's really cool. So, okay, it's any book. So if even if it's like a fantasy novel with like vampires or like (laughs) anyone can join before you or like a fiction book or okay, that's really cool. And so like if you ever had dreams of writing like a children's book, this is that that specific workshop would be a good place Mm -hmm. to start. That's Yeah. yeah, because I feel like I'm sure every mom out there has been like, I should write a kid's book on this because I have a unique idea. And I think that's really cool. And I think there's room for all of us, all uh, everyone in this space, because everyone has such a unique voice. I I say that about like, for example, fantasy novels. I think I, I read I'm a big fantasy girl, like A Court of Thorns and Roses. I don't know if you ever heard of those books. But anyway, I feel like I've read so many similar books with similar themes, but no two were the same. And they were they were all so good in their own way. That's how I feel about like writing and books or even podcasts is like, like someone else might have a podcast just like mine for new moms, but it will be completely different because they have a totally unique perspective in everything. I feel the same way about writing. Yeah. I think like, especially with picture books, but in writing in general, there are rules and there's like a format that you're often following. That's good for you. And it's good for readers, but then like the real magic is, adding your own special voice or that perspective that only you have, adding details from your life, making it something that only you could write. And the -hmm. world really needs that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And they're designed for moms. Yes. For those small pockets of time. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing overwhelming. I love that. You don't have to prepare anything. You just push play and take notes. (laughs) That is really cool. I I feel like that's cool for even a mom who like what if what if a mom's listening? She's like, well, I'm not a writer, but like I would love to write a book. What do you think? These are like designed to help you start small. So I I also call it like a DIY MFA. So MFA might sound intimidating, but maybe you want to just like put your toes in the idea of like, what if I created a character? So maybe I take the character development class or what would it mean to like find time to write? Maybe you take the how to find time and energy to write class. And, and I think there's a lot of value in starting to see yourself as a writer and like make space for that in your life. And you're the only one that can call yourself a writer, really. (laughs) So um, I encourage everyone to try it at least. (laughs) Heck yeah. I think that's awesome. I feel like it's so funny as humans. I feel like we all really love to label ourselves. And that's why so many people have like imposter syndrome because they're like, no, I'm not like this person. I can't call like when do you earn the right to call yourself? Like for me, I live on a six acre farm. When can I call myself a farmer? Like, is that have I have I earned it yet? I have chickens and two cows. Am I a farmer? I'm not growing anything. I kill everything I grow. So no, I'm just kidding. But you know, it's and I feel like maybe people feel that way about writing is like, they are pretty intimidated, but everyone has that dream. Not everyone. Yeah, I I feel like every writer I know, like even the most experienced writers have some something in their head that they're like, but I'm not like X, I don't do this. So that means like, I'm still not a real writer for sure. And I've been joining or I've been part of this community called Exhale Creativity for maybe a year or so. And it's all moms and it's all different forms of creativity. So there's a lot of writers, but there's also like people that do embroidery and woodworking and all different things. And I really like the vibe because it's just like it feels much like the like the pressure is lower and it's like maybe you're going to self-publish, maybe you're going to traditionally publish, maybe you're going to have like a really beautiful sub stack or like a collection of poetry or like, it feels like they use a a really open hand to like what is available and what is possible. And like the emphasis is on creating something and yes, something might happen with it, but like just enjoying the creative process and having something that's your own and, putting something out in the world is really valuable too. 
Yes. So powerful, especially as a mom, when you give so much up of yourself to others, to being a mother, being a partner, being a pet owner, if you're a pet owner, right? There's so much of you, you give all these pieces out that I feel like just the process of creating whatever that looks like, you're giving that piece, you're like building that piece back to yourself. At least that's how I feel. Like any type of creation, I feel like a lot of people get intimidated with like, they need to be the next Colleen Hoover or the next, like they apply this, like I need to be like this big Grammy performing artist. But if you just write music and you perform it, like it just feels really, it feels really good to produce a body of work that you are proud of. Not, you don't need the validation from anyone else. I think that's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, for sure. Well, Heidi, I have loved having you on the pod and talking about creativity and nurturing. I feel like we touched upon so many different topics, but they all aligned. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much. I feel like I could talk to you for another few hours. I know. Same. (laughs) Maybe we'll do a part two another time on something. Um, Maybe we'll do a part two on like writing as I don't know, like just something about like, oh, you're you want to write a book as a mom? Let's go through whatever. Um, But tell us where everyone can connect with you. I am at HelloHeidiFiedler.com and at HeidiFiedler on Instagram. I'm there most days, sometimes most. weekly, sometimes not. <laughs> it's good to take digital breaks. I, yeah. I'm with you, girl. I will include everything in the show notes. Everyone, thanks for listening. Definitely check out Heidi's workshops and masterclasses. I know I am because I I did pot last summer. It was pottery. That was my I took like three little semesters of pottery. That was like my try something new that I'm bad at thing. But maybe this summer it's writing. Who knows? Like, I think it's always fun to challenge yourself in something new, like embrace the suck at first and then you get better. It's fun. Um, Yeah. Check it. Check Heidi's stuff out. Everything will be in the show notes and tune in next week for the next episode. Everyone. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the New Mamas Podcast. This podcast was created to help first-time moms everywhere navigate this new stage of life and talk about the honest and the raw moments in motherhood. I'm your host, Lena Forrestal. I'm a working mom by day and a blogger, photographer, and podcaster by mid-afternoon. And as a first-time mom myself, I'm on this journey with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite listening platform. You can donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash newmamaspodcast. Stay in touch by following us on Instagram at newmamaspodcast and Lena Forrestal. Thanks again and stay tuned next week for the next episode. Bye.